This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead, and today I'm joined by Professor Buzz Schur, Director of the International Criminal Law and Justice Programs. Welcome back to the show. Great to be back. So I want to talk about bail reform. It's been a subject that's been discussed extensively in this session of uh, New Hampshire's state government since the first of the year, which we'll dive into specifically what's going on in New Hampshire during today's episode. But generally speaking, bail reform has been a touchstone. The ACLU has been doing a lot of work in, as well as many other organizations from libertarian to progressive. It's across the political spectrum. Uh, When we say bail, what exactly are we talking about from a legal perspective? We're talking about the situation where somebody is arrested for a crime and they're uh, charged with a crime. Uh, Bail is uh, what is used uh, to determine what happens to them while they're awaiting trial on the crime. So uh, if you're arrested depending on when and where you may go in front of a judge or a bail commissioner. And the prosecution will ask uh, for, they may ask for personal recognizance bail. That is, you can, uh, you simply sign a piece of paper and promise to show up for your trial and for any hearings and and, and you go on your merry way. Um, they could ask for uh, cash bail, uh, cash or corporate charity bail, where say if it's a, uh, cash or corporate in the amount of $10,000, you would then have to find a bail bondsman to post uh, collateral with uh, uh, and uh, also pay that bail bondsman $1,000. Um, basically, what you are doing there is you're saying, I will show up for all the hearings I need to show up for and trial. And if I don't show up, you can take my collateral and um, uh, or you can you can give the court the ten thousand dollars, and if you don't show up, they uh, will uh, they will keep the ten thousand dollars. So bail, in that sense, is uh, a either a promise or a financial commitment to show up. It the the fundamental idea behind bail is to make sure people appear for their trial and for their interaction with the criminal justice system. That's the basic idea. Over the years, it has evolved uh, as people, uh, as uh, prosecutors and police officers have sought to make it also about keeping dangerous people off the street. Uh, The idea being we don't want somebody who's just committed, who's just been charged with committing a violent crime to go back on the street and theoretically uh, go commit another violent crime. Um, That has made bail more confusing and messy and conflicting because just because you're charged, number one, just because you're charged with the crime doesn't mean you're going to be found guilty or that that charge is going to even stick. It might get dismissed. You might plead down to a misdemeanor from a serious felony. 
um, any number of things could happen. So the extent to which we aggressively start to be incarcerating people before they are found guilty, uh, based on the fact that we think they're dangerous within and, and, and you know, that thought, we think they're dangerous, uh, it overlaps substantially with whether we think they committed the crime or not, right? Which hasn't been determined yet. Um, uh, it gets it gets really messy. Yeah, the, the now, civil it, liberties perspective is very important and has been, yeah. especially from when you're talking the, the progressive side of the house when they're talking about bail reform, it's been a, the cornerstone of it is people have not been convicted. They, sh- they should have a day in court before they end up going to jail. But there are, on the other side, there also needs to be this care taken, which is left to the judge in most situations, depending on the crime, uh, to not be a danger to society. Say you you murdered someone or you're believed to have murdered someone and there's a decent amount of evidence just on the onset saying that this person did it. You, you want to keep them behind bars. Yeah, and, and the, the, the other wrinkle that makes it difficult is how do you go about showing that somebody is dangerous? Yeah. You know, um, if you just put in, you know, the, 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 the irony of it is the best way to show somebody is dangerous is to show that they committed the crime, but that pro- that they're charged with, but that process really doesn't happen in any serious or reliable way most of the time until they actually have the trial where you have a whole set of rights where you get to challenge the evidence that you did it. So it's it's uh, it's a kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation. So it's it's uh, and the third piece that's uh, a difficult is uh, when we use cash bail. You know, if uh, uh, I'm a law professor, if, you know, they set $1,000 cash bail, if I were charged with a crime and I, they set $1,000 cash bail, I could probably post $1,000 cash bail. Um, um, but somebody who is on Social Security disability and they're charged with a crime, a minor crime, and they're, they're charged with a minor crime and the judge sets $500 cash bail. Um, they're not going to be able to make that. And if they can't post the bail, then they sit in jail until they have a trial. And that was the origins of the bail reform movement that I was a a part of back uh, 2017, 2018, is to remedy uh, the criminalization of being poor, of people sitting in jail before the trial uh, just because they don't have 200 bucks or 500 bucks. Uh, and, and bail reform changed that dramatically. Uh, the year before bail reform went into effect, uh, I did a, a, a little study uh, and there were uh, 170 plus people in the Hillsborough County Jail pre-trial on bail of $1,000 or less. Wow. Usually those are, when bail set a thousand or less, it's set, it's not set because they're dangerous. When a judge thinks somebody's dangerous and they're using cash bail to, to keep them in jail, they'll set bail at 25,000, 50,000, 10,000. So 170 plus people in uh, Hillsborough County Jail pre-trial on a thousand dollars cash bail or less, (coughs) excuse me. 
One year after bail reform went into effect, seven people. That that's that's incredible. I mean, from and a the, civil liberties it, perspective, for people just not being locked up, I'd imagine a considerable amount of them are a they're they're very likely homeless. Many of them, in general, so they don't have any money at all. Very poor. They don't aren't able to pull together the money. And if you're in on the poor side of it and have a job, good luck having that job by the time you get out of prison when trial comes around. Yep. Yeah let alone good luck at having that job, even if you're in jail for three or four days before you post bail. Right. No. And, you know, the huge majority of people that sit in jail pre-trial on cash bail, which is there's far less of that now because of bail reform, are mentally ill. Uh, they have addiction issues or they're homeless or all three. Um, so uh, that, you know, the original bail reform bill uh that was passed in 2018 really turned the system upside down. Um, it was no longer the case that police would go into court and say, I want this bail and the judge would do it. You know, yeah, there were, there were some, uh, there was some uh, guidelines and there was, uh, there was a little um, more uh, protection for people. Uh, and you couldn't set bail, uh, cash bail simply to keep somebody in jail that they couldn't just because they could you couldn't keep somebody in jail just because they couldn't meet cash bail. So since then, uh, in New Hampshire, the uh, police have been pushing back against this. Uh, their contention is that uh, dangerous people, people who commit violent crimes, are being let out on bail and are then going out and committing more violent crimes. Uh, and that's because of bail reform. And that uh, there's a lot of fighting over that proposition. You know, it uh, there's no data that supports that. Uh, there's some data, uh, indirect third tier data that suggests that that's not the case in that ever since bail reform, the crime rate for violent crimes in New Hampshire has gone down. It's, you know, that's, it's not necessarily because of bail reform. It, it's because bail reform has not gotten in the way of uh, the crime rate going down. That is people, you know, there's not lots of people being released and going out and continuing to commit crimes. The huge majority of people who are released on bail don't commit crimes. Uh, there's a study done in New York City where bail reform was a big, big huge contention in New York City. And it turned out that 98% of the people in New York City released on bail pre-trial did not commit any more crimes while they were on bail. I'd imagine there's a touch of fear of God. I've been arrested. I don't want to commit another crime and add to what's already going on in my situation. Right. I mean, you know, there's a host of reasons. Um, yeah. Another way to look at it is um, uh, in, in, in other contexts, I became aware of data that suggested that uh, of uh, in a calendar year of the uh, all the people that the New Hampshire Public Defender Program were appointed to represent on felonies or misdemeanors, somewhere around a quarter and a third of them were dismissed or the person was found not guilty. 
So that, that's a considerable amount of people being that would have been theory been held in in jail yeah. and ultimately were innocent. At least some of them, yeah, for stuff that they weren't even convicted of ever. Um, so uh, you know, these are the themes. They're they're hard themes that run through hard to balance um, uh, that runs through any discussion of bail reform. It's not, you know, oh, this is easy. We'll just put them all in jail before trial. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. But, you know, put aside the violation of civil liberties and the innocent people who've incarcerated and the havoc you've wreaked on their lives uh, and their families' lives. But put that all aside. You got to pay for it. You know, and in New Hampshire, the jails are run by the counties. Uh, and the counties, the more the jail population goes up, the more uh, uh, jailers, uh, you know, the more guards that the county needs to hire, the more social services and medical services the county needs to provide. Um, so it's not a um, it's not a uh, it's not a simple equation. And in the long run, when it comes to these facilities, they're tremendously expensive. So you're you're talking thirty thousand bucks a year. Yeah, to, to house somebody, hundred and somewhere between, depending on the county and their debt load, somewhere between one hundred and ten and one hundred and sixty dollars a day to house an individual pretrial. And then in the long run, over decades, you're talking equipment and facilities replacement that needs to be built into capital budgets that. Uh, many counties can't afford to to really do so it is a desperate situation when it's due for uh, a large project uh, you got it and you know what we've always seen in these waves of well let's have mandatory sentencing just think about it at this the back end of the system mandatory sentencing the problem with mandatory sentencing is you fill up the jails with a number of people who really are not going to be a problem if they don't go to jail. You know, you're, you're, you're over incarcerating people. And then the bill comes due. You got to build uh, the jail can't hold this. But we got to build a new jail. Taxpayers, you want to build a new jail? Heck no. <laughs> and and th that cycle, you know, the pendulum goes back and forth yeah. and back and forth. The sad news is I've been involved in the criminal justice system for 40 plus years now. And so I've I've seen the pendulum go back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and it's, you know, and, and to be, you know, to be completely fair about it, it's it's not like they're easy answers. Right. You know, we don't want to, we don't want either of the extremes with us let everybody out no matter what they're charged with um and or let's put everybody in no matter what they're charged with and we all know we don't want either of those things but boy is it a mess trying to sort through what's important to us in the turf in between and how to implement it in a practical successful way what are some ways that uh, New Hampshire's laws, so ignoring the, the people that are just trying to undo the work that was done in 2017 in bail reform, what are some ways from your initial uh, legislation that went through that imp has improved upon what you was originally put in? Uh, the biggest improvement was what I said before, uh, 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 de-incarcerating uh, 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 people who were being held uh, simply because they couldn't afford a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or 500 bucks or a thousand bucks of jail. They were in jail simply because they didn't have the money. You know, a person who had a thousand bucks to get out charged exactly the same thing, did exactly the same thing. 
um, and the person who had a thousand bucks to get out, person who didn't have a thousand bucks, would sit in jail for six months to a year. The jails in New Hampshire uh, uh, emptied. You know that 170 versus seven statistic I gave you. That's a, Hillsborough County Jail closed a wing of its jail and repurposed it for other things um, uh, because of bail reform. And that's been a tremendous success. Um, judges are now, number two, judges are now handling individuals who come in front of them for the setting of bail in a much more case-by-case -case individualized basis rather than having some sort of informal schedule. Oh, it's a burglary. I'm going to set bail at a thousand bucks. Oh, it's a simple assault. I'm going to set bail at 250. You know, that's more or less how it happened before bail reform. They had these, there wasn't an actual formal schedule of discharge, this bail, but you know, every judge had their own sense of what they did with your basic simple assault, your basic burglary, your basic uh, first degree assault. And uh, they're now gone away from that and are giving much better and more individualized treatment to people. Uh, so that's the second thing that's made a big difference. It's the feedback you've received from judges in, in the uh, criminal court system. Uh, uh by and large good uh and many of uh, at the same time it's good they all hate me because it's it's harder to make those individualized judgments you know yeah. they can't just say oh burglary thousand bucks you know they gotta learn about what's going on with this person you know uh was this the, the a guy who was just driving the car or is this the guy who broke in and beat up the owner of the house before taking you know their wedding ring you know uh you treat those people even though they're both charged with burglary you treat them differently and uh, you know the, the the second guy has you know three prior criminal convictions the first guy has never been in trouble before and has just turned 18. you know we want the system to treat those people differently and uh, the problem is, yeah, it's a funny way to put it. The problem with being a judge is it's your job to make those distinctions and those hard decisions. It's hard to be a good judge when you're setting bail. It's hard to be a good judge when you're making any decision because uh, you you, you got to make choices and you got to you got to make predictions, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, so. I, I think judges have liked the flexibility. There's a lot more clarity now. If you want, if you if if the prosecution wants to hold somebody without bail, the statute that we wrote makes it very clear. You got to show this. You got to show this. You got to show this. And here's your burden of proof. And they have a lawyer on the other side arguing that before it was just well the prosecutor asked for this defense lawyer asked for this you know let me let me uh i'm gonna make uh make fun of it but we kind of do a laying out of hands i'm gonna say this professor buzz sure director of the international criminal law and justice programs thanks for joining me my pleasure
Thanks for listening to The Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help spread word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the back episodes of the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcast.